Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello and welcome to Compliance Clarified, a podcast for risk and compliance professionals from Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Each week we discuss news stories and topical issues with our journalists and analysts in the United States, Europe, Asia and Australia. My name is Alexander Robson, Managing Editor of Regulatory Intelligence here in London. And joining me today are Brett Wolfe, our US AML reporter. And for the first time, I think, uh, we welcome Nick Cochin, a freelance financial crime journalist who has been for many years a regular contributor to the Regulatory Intelligence file. And we're here to discuss the outlook for 2024 for bribery and corruption. Welcome, Brett. Welcome, Nick. Happy to be here. Thank you. Nice to make my debut, Alex. Yeah, thank you. Great. Great to have you, Nick. So as as in previous years, uh, bribery and corruption uh, remains high on the agenda for law enforcement, both in the UK and the United States. The UK's Economic Crime and Transparency Act, otherwise known in legal circles as ECTA, was passed in October 2023, and it is the most important piece of British law with respect to economic crime, fraud, and bribery and corruption for more than a century. Nick, how this rolls over 2024 will become clear over the year. Uh, perhaps if, if I asked you to look at the main points, you could start with just a, a brief history of the, of the economic crime plan and then what got sort of forwarded, I suppose, as a result of the invasion of Ukraine and the British government's renewed, although some see it as very belated, effort to crack down on, you know, corruption and, and, and dirty money. So what, does the, what, what is the, the, the main point of the legislation and, and its history? Well, okay. Um, so we're looking really at a long series of complaints um, by uh, heads, directors of the Serious Fraud Office and other uh, um, important people in law enforcement in the UK regarding the corporate uh, uh, liability, the so-called identifiability principle. And the question is, in what circumstance can one prosecute a corporate? And the up to now, up to this act, the corporate has only been prosecutable, excuse the phrase, if the senior director on the board the, can be identified as part of the crime, as part of the fraud, as part of the corruption, whatever it is. The It's had to be a board member and it's got to be able and the prosecutors have got to be able to tie that board member into the into the crime itself and as we all know the cunning criminal board director uh, is very capable of uh, destroying deleting uh, emails correspondence all forms of contact that links them to the crime uh, and this has been an almighty um, um, problem for the serious fraud office and for other agencies what has changed? And this act, to the dramatic uh, shock almost of the legal uh, community, although I have to say also I suspect some pleasure, is that it has put the senior managers, i.e. the people close to the criminality itself, 
into the frame. So as soon as a senior manager can be linked uh, to the crime or the alleged crime, the prosecutors uh, can go after the corporate uh, and they've really got it uh, got it by by painful parts. So it it basically opens up corporates to a whole new level of prosecution, um, which uh, you know is long awaited. Uh, and this year will uh, will give us an insight into how the serious fraud office and other prosecutors are going to use this legislation, um, because it really does open up into a much wider uh, uh, space. The, the, the scope for prosecuting corporates. So that is the key uh, fundamental of the, the new ECTA. There is another uh, important thing that um, the Serious Fraud Office has been asking for, and that is a failure to prevent fraud um, uh, uh, clause in the Act. Uh, and that uh, has duly been provided um, and that will only apply to companies with uh, a turnover of greater than £36 million, but it's still a, a, a substantial in, involvement investment in, in fraud. And so that's why corruption and fraud are really entering the horizon of British prosecutors in a way that we really haven't seen for, for, for decades, even centuries. I think observers feel that the UK does have if you include the Bribery Act, it does have some effective legislation to tackle some of the problems we've discussed. But it's also viewed as having inadequate resources to actually get on ahead and do the job. What do you think, if anything, will be different this time? Well, Alex, the, the resources issue um, it, it remains, and this does not change that. But it does have one potential bearing on, on resources, and that is um, lawyers um, looking at the new expanded bill, the, this new act that we're now looking at, are, are anticipating much greater scope for deferred prosecution agreements in, in the coming year. And, and why is that? Because... Uh, as we know, corporates um, are very reluctant to be prosecuted for a criminal offence. Um, and if this now opens up more corporates to the risk of criminality or criminal offences, um, one can anticipate uh, more DPAs. Um, and uh, th there is an important point here that the, the new act, I mean, we're talking now about a criminal offence. Um, and a criminal offence, if a company is found to have uh, engaged in criminality and it's proven, they are uh, likely, probably inevitably going to be disbarred from government contracts. Uh, and for a lot of companies, uh, you know, that is very, very critical. So, again, that adds to that pressure on the corporate uh, to make the, the DPA, which uh, averts the, the the conviction, the criminal conviction, and enables them to retain um, uh, um, corporate uh, government contracts. Unlike uh, with the um, uh, failure to prevent, a company that's found to be uh, failed to prevent fraud is not necessarily 
disbarred uh, in the same way. It's more of a regulatory offence, um, uh, uh, and you know there is a scope for disbarment, but it's not inevitable. But the, where the manager is found to have performed, perpetrated uh, uh, bribery and corruption, uh, and 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 is conv- and the, the corporate's convicted. You know, that is automatic disbarment, and that's very bad news for an awful lot of companies. So I think, in other words, Alex, I think there is a scope for greater access to, to, to funding through the DPA, although DPAs not of themselves allow the money to go to the prosecutors, unlike the United States. Uh, I think that there will be a recognition that, if, you know, if more money comes in through DPAs, um, and also, if the government perceives uh, that um, you know they're getting more money, they'll think, right, let's throw some money um, at the prosecutors because you know that that's getting a payback. So I think you know we might see an improvement in the resource issue, which is a long-running uh, nightmare, frankly, for British uh, prosecutors. They're, they're not they're they're simply under-resourced, and I mean, you know, it, it's a totally uh, accepted fact that we're 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 the prosecutors are way under 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 resourced and underpowered compared to the the full sort of weight of city brilliance and 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 and, and spending shall we say yeah how do you think the sfo will fare or what its goals might be for the year with the new director after moving on from you know fairly controversial era under Elise Rosowski, Nick, Nick F. Grave, who's just taken over, has, has got a pretty full intro. Well, first of all, um, some of the omens are not great. Um, for example, um, we had the prosecution of a company called Entain for, for bribery. Um, and at the end of last year, it agreed a £615 million pound, um, DPA. But that was brought by HMRC, by the tax authorities, and not the Serious Fraud Office, which is kind of, I think, unique, actually, in in a case of such a scale. So, you know, there is some argument for saying that the HMRC might be uh, snitching uh, cases from the SFO. Having said that, um, the new man at the SFO is, is a policeman. He has shown most interest in fraud, actually, rather than corruption. But nevertheless, um, one could envisage him seeing and using this new uh, legislation um, to to sort of, you know, test it and to flex his muscles uh, and to uh, also put, you know, frankly, um, put the SFO back on the map because there's been a real problem, as you alluded to just now, that the SFO has basically been stopping cases rather than starting them. And and those that it's uh, come to any conclusion with, it has uh, performed rather poorly for the most part. Um, so that really, we're now in a testing time for the SFO. There's been talk, of course, of rolling it for the first time into the National Crime Agency and kind of having a more harmonized, centralized prosecution service, which, you know, has a lot of sense to it. But, you know, a powered up SFO under the new director, well, we could see, um, you know, using the new act, some really quite important um, prosecutions in the coming year, I, I would guess. Interesting. And, and just finally, um, on this 
what do you think? I mean, we're you know we've, we're very likely in the UK to face an election, as as the Prime Minister said in the second half of this year. Uh, Keir Starmer is the former head of the Crown Prosecution Service. Do you think the Labour Party supports a lot of this? Do you think it's got its own plans, given it's expected to be in government uh, in less than a year's time? Look, all, all one can say is one can look at some of the outpourings uh, and speeches of um, uh, Labour Party officials. And of course, as one knows, in opposition, it's always easy uh, to make promises and make big statements and the like. Um, but basically, it does look as if um, their, one of their um, senior thinkers, um, David Lammy, uh, has got his eye set on the, the corruption, bribery, a fraud agenda. And he's made some major um, claims, if you like, for, for Labour's plans. Um, they've talked about, you know, really powering up the prosecution system and making the country a sort of hostile to fraud, hostile corruption environment. Um, I would, I think general view is that they will, they will take a, a less, what should we say, timorous, hands-off uh, approach to, to landing it for, for corporates that misbehave. And, and I think, frankly, you know, uh, the, what's been going on in the UK in recent times, the post office scandal most recently, does suggest there is a public will and, uh, and uh, to, to, to do something about, you know, corporate misbehavior. Uh, so I think, you know, I think it would be wise for corporates to look at the new Labour potential and say, yes, there is something behind it. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of US politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts. Brett, in the United States, the Treasury Department uh, in December outlined its plans to target corruption this coming year. Uh, what are these plans? Sure. Yeah, I, I would just give, uh, by way of background, uh, a really quick uh, statement about the the Biden administration's policy overall against uh, or with regard to targeting corruption. Uh, there was a key document issued in December of 2021 uh, called the U.S. Strategy on Countering Corruption. And in that document, uh, the Biden administration essentially said that it views the threat of corruption as a national security imperative. Um, and since that strategy was released, uh, Treasury's taken a number of actions uh, of relevance uh, to, to this podcast, um, not the least of which is the implementation of the Corporate Transparency Act, uh, which will create a beneficial ownership information registry in the United States, uh, a long-awaited registry in some circles. Uh, but we've addressed that in another podcast, so I won't get into it. And Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network uh, has issued five alerts or advisories uh, that address the corruption issue uh, with a goal of bolstering private sector efforts, you know, namely financial institutions, to detect and report transactions uh, that might be linked to corruption uh, so that law enforcement can act upon them. 
Additionally, Treasury's uh, Office of Foreign Assets Control, or OFAC, uh, has sanctioned hundreds of individuals and entities linked to uh, what the U.S. views as corruption, um, in part uh, pursuant to the Global Magnitsky Act of 2016, uh, which listeners probably know targeted human rights abuses, uh, including corruption. Uh, Now, with regard to the fact sheet, Uh, you asked about that was issued in December of 2023, it declared that in 2024, uh, the U.S. will prioritize the sanctioning of quote-unquote financial facilitators and private enablers of corruption, um, including via use of the Magnitsky Act. Uh, It also added that the U.S. Treasury will focus on Russia, including through the uh, Repo Task Force, Uh, which has blocked uh, and frozen tens of billions of dollars worth of uh, assets held by Russian oligarchs. As we all know, there are many outstanding legal questions regarding uh, what can actually be done in terms of uh, forfeiting those assets and uh, using them for whatever purposes the U.S. and its allies see fit. Uh, But that's another question, but it's it's going to be an ongoing priority for, for Treasury. The fact sheet also heralded uh, the issuance of FinCEN rules aimed at the real estate and investment advisor spaces, uh, sectors that the U.S. authorities have known for decades uh, pose a very significant money laundering threat as they're commonly used tools for corrupt officials looking to to launder their ill-gotten gains and and park park these dirty assets. Uh, Both of these Uh, proposals from FinCEN uh, supposedly will be out early this year. And in fact, the real estate related proposal is uh, imminent as we produce this podcast and could come out any day now. We don't know who's going to be required to take action as a result of either of these rulemaking processes. Um, In fact, a failed real estate AML proposal that came out shortly after the Patriot Act was aimed at parties involved in real estate closings. Uh, So perhaps in some way those individuals will be addressed with this rule, we don't know. Uh, We do know that uh, FinCEN has been using geographic targeting orders since 2016 to try to get a view into uh, uh, illicit activity in the real estate space. And that burden has fallen upon uh, title companies. So title companies as well, one might assume, uh, will be a part of this, uh, simply because FinCEN has repeatedly touted the information it says it's uh, gotten from title companies that has shed light on illicit activity. Um, And uh, FinCEN actually issued an advance notice of proposed rulemaking uh, with regard to this real estate proposal uh, in December of 2021. So they've had some time uh, to go through the f- uh, feedback they received on this issue. And, uh, you know, it should be very interesting to see who is called out and who is uh, assigned AML responsibilities uh, in the coming days. And finally, I'd note that uh, also in December, uh, Congress passed the Bipartisan Foreign Extortion Prevention Act, or FIPA which makes it a crime for a foreign official to demand or accept a bribe from a U.S. company or a U.S. national 
or in fact, anyone who happens to be in the United States at the time that uh, uh, such a request may be made. And this certainly represents a, a big step in the U.S. anti-corruption uh, criminal framework and uh, is really, I, I suppose, the most significant development since the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act of 1970. Uh, so, uh, you know, in the last 50 years, at least. Uh, so this is a, a big step as well. And you say uh, bipartisan, so that suggests that uh, not too much of this might be at issue in a presidential election year? Yes, I would say that's absolutely the case. And, you know, in, in the United States in general, I will say, um, you know, I recall when uh, President Trump came into office and, uh, you know, had vowed to roll back regulation. There was concern that, you know, this might impact uh, the anti-money laundering space, uh, the financial crime space. Uh, all those fears turned out to be unfounded. And I think that's going to be the case uh, moving forward, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, once these kind of authorities are put into place, uh, we haven't seen them rolled back uh, by, by either Democrats or Republicans. Um, it seems to be uh, sort of a uh, slow moving forward process um, you know, as we've seen with the Corporate Transparency Act, there's been a whole lot of uh, trumpeting of this as a uh, grand means to combat corruption, amongst other things. Uh, but it's taken, you know, you know, FinCEN's moved fairly slowly in implementing this uh, for some good reason, uh, to be fair, uh, given the, the fairly small staff at FinCEN and the number of responsibilities it has, thanks to the Anti-Money Laundering Act of 2020. Uh, but the point being that, you know, we're going to continue, continue to see uh, small steps forward and uh, probably won't see any marching backward. Well, Brett, Nick, uh, thanks for your thoughts today. Uh, let's leave it there. Thank you. I uh, hope that was useful to our listeners. Me too. That's it for this week's Compliance Clarified. Your feedback is important to us. So please give us a rating on your podcasting platform of choice, or you can get in touch directly. Our contact details are in the show notes. Goodbye. Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.